Anyway, I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes. Uh, McKenna actually said this in her decorating of the rain stick that less is more. So we're continuing on with our series on connection, uh, headed up to Easter. And I want to talk to you. You ever think about how Jesus, um, some would say Jesus turned the world upside down, right? I mean, Jesus just came and the whole system of the way the world functions, Jesus kind of challenges almost everything. Um, Most of us would probably prefer that we would say Jesus tried to turn the world right side up instead of upside down. But however you look at it, um, when Jesus came to the earth, one of the things that he did is in this powerful way began to communicate that less, less complication is more and can be more demanding Um, And Jesus eliminated the loopholes, and that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes this morning. So uh, when I was playing baseball, when I was in high school, uh, during about this time of year, when we would start spring practice, a lot of times we were indoors, and in the school that uh, Claire and I went to, the high school we went to, uh, we had this kind of rectangular hallways, pretty good-sized hallway, I don't know, maybe it was a third of a mile if you ran this rectangular hallway. And that was a spot that the coach loved to have us run and trying to get us into shape uh, when, we're, when we're getting ready for the season. And it was interesting because in the middle of that rectangular-shaped hallway, there was a hallway that kind of intersected in the middle. And the coach would say, all right, this is what I want you to do, is I want you to run around the hall And I want you to, perhaps he may say, I want you to pass by me 10 times. And then he would sit there. And like what happens with high school boys at times, we would take off running. And what do you think would happen? Because it was a pretty good run. And then he wanted us to race and things like that. So inevitably what would happen is, uh, usually the older guys, we would all take off. And some of the older guys that were more experienced would cut through the middle. And they would wait. They would just wait because the coach couldn't see you cut through the middle where he was playing. All he would see is you passed by him ten times. So they would cut through the middle and they just rest while the rest of us would run the whole distance. And when they would see us coming, they'd cut in front of us. So they were in first. They'd come running through like they were in great shape, go around again, cut through that middle. It was a great loophole. And some people took advantage of it, and some people didn't. And the people that took advantage of it generally weren't in as good a shape, obviously. But man, they felt good about themselves. Isn't that how we're kind of wired and we're trained? There's just loopholes for everything. And if we want to look for loopholes and tax seasons on us, and there's loopholes in taxes, right? And people look for those kinds of loopholes. They look for loopholes in their employment and their job, their career. People look for loopholes in their educational process. How can I get find those loopholes? There's retail loopholes. You can look up, you can Google loopholes. And you'll find a lot of stuff uh, by defense attorneys on loopholes. Like one, I saw one uh, defense attorney that said that in one of the states that does not have legalized cannabis yet, uh, he had recommended to this group of people that really wanted to utilize cannabis more frequently and freely that they should get a 501c3 
and start the Church of Cannabis. And as a part of their worship, every time they get together to worship, they get to do whatever they want with cannabis because there's a loophole in the law, even though their state says it's not legal, it's the Church of Cannabis. So they can go ahead and do that. It's a loophole and they use it. You can find retail loopholes. I found a retail loophole. Uh, This one person said that there was an online retailer that said, uh, the, this retailer was saying a trip to anywhere in the world, two uh, first-class tickets to anywhere in the world, airline tickets, for whoever spends the most in a year in our online site. Well, somebody figured out that you could buy a $25 gift certificate from that re- retailer, and then with that $25 gift certificate, you could buy another, you could buy another gift certificate with that same $25 gift certificate. So they essentially bought one $25 gift certificate and all year long, just multiple times every day, would just buy $25 gift certificates. At the end of the year, lo and behold, they had two first-class airline tickets to Australia. Now, some people work hard to do what's wrong and find the loopholes, right? But Jesus comes onto the scene and see, this is there were a lot of religious loopholes. And Jesus begins to identify them. Most of the time when Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, for instance, it's about the loopholes that they're applying to their own life to build wealth, to build power and influence, while not living into the same laws that they were commanding other people to do. One of the favorite ones that they would do, for instance, is, of course, there was the command to honor your mother and father, right? Very clear. But what they began to do is, so one of the things that was thought is at the end of your parents' life, you would take care of them, whatever resources that took. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of the religious leaders started this practice was, well, yeah, that is the law. However, there's a greater law. And the greater law is to honor God with your wealth. So if we give any of our wealth to taking care of our parents, then we wouldn't be honoring God with our wealth. This wealth, all of this wealth, is set aside to honor God. So that was a loophole, and they began to work it. And Jesus just came onto the scene and started to to turn back some of the loopholes. Anyway, in Philippians 2, this is one of my favorite scriptures And maybe it's yours as well. Why don't we stand up if you're able and let's read this together. Philippians 2, it's kind of a long passage, but it's a great passage. So let's just read it. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who also, I'm sorry, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or arguments, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding firmly to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. You guys can go ahead and be seated. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he begins to describe the humility of Jesus. Now, what I want us to kind of pay attention to is Paul really pays a lot of uh, directional attention to the humility of Jesus, but at the same time, he talks about the exaltation of Jesus. In other words, Paul puts emphasis on the fact this is otherworldly. Jesus operated in a totally different realm as was known, and still to this day, kind of it's not in line with the world system. The more Jesus humbled himself, the more Jesus descended, the, the greater he became. And that's the invitation for us. Now listen, the goal in our lives isn't that we would be exalted, but the way to exaltation, this is what Jesus says when he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus not only communicated that, Jesus fully lived into this. That as you humble yourself, as you become a servant, as you pour out your life in the way that God desires you and I to pour out our lives, we find ourselves moving in the direction God desires. This whole issue of humility is powerful. This is upside-down thinking. See, when the world thinks of power, power is about something you use against people in a worldly sense. It's something that you use for your own influence and good. But this totally turns the thinking around here. If you want to be great, you want to become the least of these. Now, humility shows up, we begin to find, um, through a few different things, but we find that, in general, humility is simply intentional smallness. It's intentional smallness. Some, another term that you could use is intentional smallness or servanthood, humility. So this is where we see in the scripture, Jesus made himself nothing, one version says, taking on the very nature of a servant. That is really kind of def a definition of humility, which is a good place for us to start this morning with just a question. As we consider this issue of humility and servanthood, here's the question for all of us. How are you doing with intentional smallness? How are you doing with intentional smallness? How are you doing, in other words, with humility or with servanthood? Richard Foster puts it this way, he says, more than any other single way of the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. Nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service but screams against hidden service. 
It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. So if serving, if humility, if intentional smallness is the thing that we're invited to, how can we do that better? How can we learn, or what are some of the ways that we can live into to improve our serve? The first thing that we need to remember is it's important to engage in the mundane. The scripture tells us to have the attitude of Jesus. How much do you think that what Jesus operated in had to be mundane to the creator of the universe, but still so absolutely critical? How about the time that Jesus takes up a child in his arms and I think he essentially says to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and everyone, including us, takes up a child in his hands, which especially in that culture was considered like the mundane of life. And Jesus holds this child and essentially says, here is your ministry. Here is This is your place to serve. There's those mundane places in our life, if we could pay attention to engaging in the mundane, and they happen multiple times every day in all of our lives. The opportunities are always around us. A coworker of ours needs help with something that we may think is really easy to pull off, but for some reason they're having a hard time. It's a mundane opportunity to serve You're driving down the road. You see a car broken down on the roadside. You know it's not unsafe for you to stop, but it would just be more convenient to not stop. It's one of those mundane opportunities to at least find out if that person or those people are okay. Maybe it's helping on a servant team, on a serving team, or maybe it's helping in your small group, or maybe it's helping a neighbor. Maybe it's helping them with something that's going on in their own home. These small, mundane moments are opportunities for us to engage in what God calls us to. These opportunities offer themselves time and time again. And I would say this, that authentic community is, character, is probably most clearly characterized by the mutual servanthood that happens and submission that we have to one another. This is at the core of a local church or a small group. This is at the core of a family. Mutual servanthood and submission one to another. This is where our lives have the opportunity to get the kind of traction that Jesus invites us to. It could be in our family, our local church. It could be your business. Maybe you own a business. It could be the business that you own. Or maybe it's the business that you work in or the school that you work in or you attend. Could be the serving ministry that you're a part of. Could be the small group that you're a part of. The second place, so we need to, first of all, if we want to improve our serve, we we engage the mundane. Secondly, because not everything is mundane, But we need to engage the mundane. That's part of it. But secondly, it would help to close our mouth. Say that after me. Close our mouth. In the Greek, that's literally close your pie hole. Hold your tongue is the holy way to say it. Let's say that. Close your pie hole. That's it. One, two, three. Close your pie hole. And this would include your pie hole. Part of your pie hole is your social media. One of the most powerful places for us to serve, surprisingly, is in being quiet at times. Obviously, it's not always a time to be quiet, 
But you might remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate was questioning him, peppering him with different questions. And in Matthew chapter 27, the scripture says, And Jesus, in response, opened not his mouth. Do you think that Jesus could have said some things? But for whatever reason, in that moment, the greatest level of servanthood as Jesus is about to go to the cross is for Jesus to say nothing in that moment. Maybe it's our grandiosity that needs to be dealt with. Maybe it's our narcissism that needs to be broken. Maybe it's that thing in us that that we are so tempted to always give our opinion in every situation. Maybe internally there's this thought, here's my chance to let everyone know how much I know. Or maybe internally we say, this will show my competence or how brilliant I am. Or maybe it's, this will show how correct I am. Claire and I have a term that we jokingly say at times when we see things that we're just like, that's just a little bit more than probably needs to be shared. And don't kid yourself, we're paying attention to our own lives around this stuff as well, but we just say it's barking at the moon. There is more barking at the moon going on right now in our culture, in our country, in the world than ever before. So just remember, one of the greatest ways that you and I can serve at times is just to be quiet. Sometimes a closed mouth would be the greatest act of servanthood to a Christ follower. And it is the greatest kingdom victory at times that some of us could engage in. There are times to let it be. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you don't have brilliant things to say. But there are times when your greatest servanthood would be to be quiet. So you need to engage the mundane if you want to serve uh, in a better way, in a greater way. We need to keep our mouths closed at times. And thirdly, we need to be available. So we engage the mundane. We close our mouths and we become available. To be available is to plan to be interrupted. Good timing. <laughs> to be to be available is to plan to be interrupted interrupted I love the scripture here in Philippians 2 it says to do nothing from selfishness or vain conceit one of the questions that we always have to ask ourselves is have we filled our lives with so much of ourselves with so much of our own plan for our life that there's no space in order for us to serve. Now, it's important that you have your pursuing purpose in your life. It's critical that you are shining in what the things that God has given you. It's, it's, it's part of stewarding your life well, to engage your life well. But never should our life be so crowded that we cannot be available to the invitations of God. I love this story about Abraham Lincoln when he was president. One of his cabinet members said to him at one point, they walked in on him and Lincoln was shining his boots. And the cabinet member said, I'm really surprised, Mr. President, to see you shining your boots. And Lincoln kind of chuckled and he looked at him and he says, well, whose boots am I supposed to be shining? You know? 
But if we become too big, if we become too important to be available to the invitations of God to serve, it will be to our own sadness and detriment, ultimately. See, there's a danger in talking about servanthood. We can listen to talks about, danger, about servanthood. We can study about servanthood. But at the end of the day, we need to serve. I've noticed this in my own life. I can't tell you how many times. As a matter of fact, even in preparing on this scripture, I've been trying to keep my eyes open for serving opportunities. Because I've noticed in my own life when I'm studying serving and, you know, these types of things that these opportunities will, it's almost like God has such a sense of humor where opportunity knocks. I was at a, I was at a conference years ago. There were 40,000 pastors in the room. 40,000. And part of the conference was around how are you doing with your family? It was incredible teaching. It was wonderful teaching. And I remember looking around the room and thinking to myself, I wonder how many of these people in this room were so thrilled to come here, but some of them ignored their family to come here. And that's a trap and a danger that can happen to us, that we can become so enthralled with the words of Jesus that we don't do the actions of Jesus. So know when to be available. Make sure that you have space in your life to be available, which brings us back to our question. How are you doing these days with intentional smallness? How are you doing with humility? And how are you doing with servanthood? So we're going to take a moment to listen to God. And um, I don't want to rush past this question. Uh, I hope you won't either. So for a moment, let's just turn our gaze to God. And ask God, how am I doing with intentional smallness? Speak, oh 
nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. approach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding firmly the word of life so that on the day of Christ, I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. Presence, I am humbly bowed. 
And in this safe place of letting you examine our hearts, God, we do surrender all the ways that we have complicated this simple way where we allow less to be more and allow what you consider first to be first and that we would empty ourselves of everything else that gets in the way. We see the simplicity of bread and wine today. You may even want to start to unpack your communion And when you can hold the bread in your hand and consider the simplicity of the life that God's called us to, to less and not more, this is not a meal of caviar and champagne. It's the most simple foods. Especially for the people of that time, bread and wine was their go-to to remember And today as we hold this bread, we remember, Jesus, that on the night you were betrayed, you, you took bread and you broke it. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat it, this bread. My body will be broken for you.
And we remember, Jesus, that you emptied yourself, fully God and fully human, with broken bread. You said, every time you come together, do this in remembrance of me, how I lived. And together, or to God, just to God, we say, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus. And after supper was ended, you lifted up the cup and you gave thanks and you said, drink this, all of you. This cup of the new covenant. Written in my own blood. Shed for you, for all people, so that sins will be forgiven. And every time you come and you remember that I poured myself out, Do this in remembrance of me, not just in words, but in the way you live. And together, we say, Jesus, we remember you.
God, may we leave this place with that as a sort of a breath prayer, with every beat of our heart and every breath of our lungs that we would say, I, I surrender. I surrender to how you and I can live together on the earth today. God, may that be a prayer of ours. Bless my friends today in the name of the Father who surrendered the Son and in the name of the Son who surrendered his own life in the name of the Spirit who lives and moves and has being in us today. In all of our days this week, may we surrender. Be blessed, you guys. <laughs>